Happy 2023 to all of you, and welcome back to Parkside Green's weekly Bible study. Pastor Steve here, excited to journey with you through the Gospel of Luke. One year ago, last January 2022, we started out reading how Luke assures us that his account is orderly and that it comes from trustworthy eyewitness testimony. And Luke gives us all kind of unique details about the births of John the Baptist and Jesus Christ, who later is baptized himself as an adult by John. Uh, Luke also tells us how Jesus resists the devil's temptations and how he is rejected by his hometown in Nazareth before launching his ministry in Galilee. And that ministry of Jesus includes calling his 12 disciples, to follow him and learn from him and imitate him. Includes healing people with leprosy, a paralysis, a, a withered hand, a never-ending flow of blood, dropsy, all kind of ailments. Some of those healings, you remembered, happened on the Sabbath, and that brought Jesus into conflict with some of the Jewish leaders and establishment. Jesus also worked miracles. Luke tells us about the, the feeding of the 5,000, calming a storm, casting out demons, even raising the dead on a couple of occasions. Jesus also showed special concern, Luke shows, for first century outcast groups like Samaritans or, or low power groups like uh, the poor and women. And Jesus did a lot of teaching uh, some was to the crowds and some was to his disciples. He often used parables to instruct them. And that brings us to Jesus' three famous parables found in Luke 15. The lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost or prodigal son. And as always, looking carefully at the context will provide us with valuable clues about what these parables mean. The context this week is found in the first three verses of Luke chapter 15. You see some outcasts of first century Jewish society, like tax collectors who were looked down on and sinners, were all drawing near to hear Jesus. It's interesting, isn't it, that some who had strayed from God were magnetically drawn to God's Son as he's here on earth. But those who thought that they were near to God, the Pharisees and scribes, grumbled about how Jesus received sinners and even ate with them. No, you shouldn't be fellowshipping with those types, they seemed to think. Well, Jesus sizes up the situation and he told three parables, maybe primarily aimed at the Pharisees and scribes, but also apparently within earshot of the tax collectors and sinners. All three parables are about heavenly joy in finding the lost. That's the common theme, heavenly joy in finding the lost. Jesus starts with a question. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he's lost one of them, will not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that's lost until he finds it? And when he's found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. You notice here that the shepherd takes the initiative in seeking out the lost sheep, and he persists until he finds it, and then he tenderly carries it home on his shoulders. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep 
that was lost. Now it might seem like with a hundred sheep, losing one is no big deal. You've still got the other 99. But just as any man among you would be right to seek out your one lost sheep and rejoice when it's found, so I am right to seek out lost sinners and to rejoice when even one of them is found, Jesus seems to say. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. We see here, don't we, that Jesus' mission to lost people aligns with the priorities of heaven. Hmm. That's where there's joy over any sinner who repents. And that's why Jesus received sinners and ate with them. Right? These people knew they were sick. They, they needed a physician, but the Pharisees and scribes wrongly thought that they did not need Jesus, that they were righteous in themselves. Craig Keener says the moral of the story is this. As the shepherd's friends rejoice when he finds that which was lost, so do God's friends rejoice when he recovers what was lost to him. Thus, Jesus' accusers who resent his fellowship with the sinners that he seeks to restore may not be God's friends. Jesus says you should be rejoicing, not grumbling. Ouch! Just in case they didn't get it the first time, Jesus follows up with a second parable, again starting out with a question. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, and, and each of these coins we guess were worth maybe a little over $100 each in today's money, does not light a lamp and, and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. And when she has found it, oh, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. We all lose things from time to time, don't we? And we rejoice when we find them. Like when I spotted Sue's lost engagement diamond on our car floor. Yes, it had been missing for two weeks. I was so excited to find it. And just like in the first parable, Jesus forces his listeners to acknowledge that Anyone would act in this way. What man wouldn't seek out his lost sheep, and what woman wouldn't seek out her lost coin? There's no, uh, it'll turn up sooner or later, I hope, kind of attitude. No, as with the one lost sheep, the woman's one lost coin is valuable to her. It's possibly part of her dowry, some speculate. So naturally, when she loses it, she searches for it. God has great concern for the lost of this world, and Jesus' ministry reflects that concern of God. The lost sheep and the lost coin, you notice, they don't contribute to their own rescue. Someone else does the searching and the finding and the rejoicing. The Pharisees and scribes, they seemed all too happy for the lost to just stay lost. And instead, they should align themselves with the angels of God who rejoice over one sinner who repents. 
Well, just in case it wasn't crystal clear already, Jesus adds a third parable, and it's perhaps his most famous parable of all time. There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. Now, such a presumptuous request for an early inheritance would have been a huge insult. It was the equivalent of saying, I don't really want a relationship with you, just your money. I just want what I have coming to me. Father, I kind of wish you were dead already. Can I have my inheritance? We're not told what the father felt or thought. We can imagine, but we are told what he did. He divided his property between his boys, uh, likely followed the guidelines of Deuteronomy 21.17, giving the older son a double portion, two-thirds, and the younger son a single portion of one-third. And once the younger son has his money, I mean, he is out of there just in a matter of days. He takes a journey into a far country, where he squandered his property with wild, reckless living. You see, once he had money and distance from his family, he, he could indulge his every pleasure. And Jesus' audience would have looked down both on the squandering and the reckless living. Well, when the younger son had run through his inheritance, he began to be in need in that faraway country which didn't look so good now, and it started to actually suffer a famine. I mean, the grass was not greener away from home. It was more like a dust bowl, and, and food was scarce and hard to find. And it got so bad that the younger son hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, probably a Gentile, who gave him a job of feeding pigs, which, of course, were unclean animals to Jews. The younger son had hit rock bottom. No one, including any of the party buddies maybe that he made during the time of reckless living, gave this young man anything. No cash, no Venmo, no PayPal, no Zelle, nothing. And it got so bad that he longed to eat the pig food. I mean, that's skid row. You ever been so hungry that you just hankered to eat pig fodder? Well, the younger son came to his senses by realizing that his father's hired servants back home had plenty to eat. But here he was perishing with hunger. He realized just how helpless and hopeless his situation was. This young man, who had been sick of home earlier, now grew homesick. So he prepared the speech that he would give at home. Uh, father, I I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Now, you see, instead of it, Father, give me my inheritance, it's Father, treat me as one of your hired servants. Now, some say that the son was returning merely out of his hunger, not a sincere humility, but most say this was a true confession of sin against God in heaven and against his Father on earth. We're reminded, aren't we, that there are both vertical and horizontal dimensions to our sin. And then the shocker, the shocker. While the prodigal son was still a long way away off, his father saw him and felt compassion. Many think the father had been checking the horizon regularly on the lookout for his son. And for the Middle Eastern head of a state, 
to take up his cloak and run and greet a wayward son would have been seen as undignified and a radical show of mercy and love. But that's exactly what the father does. His arms were wide open to accept back his son. He threw his arms around him, fell on his neck, and kissed him. And then the son immediately launches into his prepared speech. Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But before the son can ask to be treated as a hired servant, the father tells his servants to quickly put on the best robe and a ring and shoes or sandals on his ragtag son. Robe, ring, sandals signified his status as a restored son was a shocking welcome home. And the ornate family clothing was just a prelude to the family celebration. You see, there was no I told you so speech. Instead, there was a bring the fattened calf, right? The, the one reserved for the big special occasions and kill it and let us celebrate. For this, my son was dead. Maybe he had been feared to be physically dead or, or or metaphorically dead by relational distance, but he is alive again. He was lost and is found. What a beautiful picture of how when we repent, God compassionately forgives us, receives us into his kingdom family, and celebrates that we are found. We are with him at home. But not all was well at home. As the older brother came from the field and heard sounds of music and dancing in the house, he asked a nearby servant, what was going on inside there? The servant explained, your brother has come and your father's killed the fattened calf because he's received him back safe and sound. Now, culturally, older brothers were often expected to kind of smooth over the differences between fathers and younger brothers. But in this case, the older brother is angry, he's mad, and he refused to go into the house to join the party. Sounds a lot like the Jewish leaders who grumbled at Jesus receiving and eating with sinners. One of a hundred sheep was lost. We remember one of ten coins was lost, but in a sense, two of two sons were lost. They were just lost in different ways. The older son, sure, he was physically near, but he was relationally distant from his father. I mean, you can be lost in the bar or brothel, and you can be lost in the Bible study or the church pew, the synagogue. When the father came outside to, to plead with the older son, he answered his father with insolent words of disrespect. Look, these many years I've served you, and I never disobeyed any of your command, yet you never gave me a goat that I might celebrate with my friends. All these years of slaving away and being perfectly obedient, doing nothing wrong, but no reward came my way. I mean, with all my dutiful service, I've, I've earned a party, a, a party that we notice would be with his friends and did not include his father on the invitation list. But when this son of yours, he's not my brother, but this son of yours came, this, this sinner who's devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. No fair. No fair. 
like the Jewish leaders, he is not going to eat with this sinner. Just as the father showed extraordinary love to his wayward younger son, so he shows extraordinary love to his resentful older son. Son, my, my child, it can even be translated, you're always with me and all that is mine is yours. You, you still have your double portion of the inheritance. You don't lose anything by your, your brother's return home. There's plenty in the room in the house for both of you. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. We had to throw this party for this brother of yours, not just this son of mine, but your brother was dead. And he's alive. He was lost. And now he's found. You see, no matter how far a sinner has degraded himself, how lost they are, we can turn in repentance with hope of full reconciliation as a family member, not just as a hired hand. The Jewish leaders, it seemed here, lacked the Father's heart by failing to want the lost to be found. But repentant sinners are accepted by God and, and should be joyously received by the people of God if our hearts are in tune with the Father's heart for the lost. And notice how the older brother's final response is not recorded probably indicating Jesus' open invitation to the Jewish leaders to join the celebration for those who were lost but now are found. Don't stay outside the heavenly party. No, those with public sins and those with private sins are both invited. Aren't you thankful that we have the Gospel of Luke? He's the only one to have recorded this parable without the Gospel of Luke who wouldn't know it. And there's so many what different ways we can apply Luke chapter 15 to our own lives. I'll just leave you with four questions to consider. Number one, am I like Jesus? Am I like Jesus in intentionally hanging out with, welcoming, and eating with lost sinners who need to be restored to God? Secondly, when I have wandered from God's home and his righteous way of life, do I, like the younger son, return to God in repentance? Thirdly, am I like the father when insulted and wronged who extends radical grace, open arms to those seeking reconciliation? And fourthly, am I ever like the older brother, resentful of God's undeserved grace to others, so actually wishing for lost sinners to be shunned and not to be forgiven. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, some of us are like the younger son. Uh, we've just made a mess of our lives. We've wronged other people. We've sinned against you. And for those of us in this situation, we ask that you'll bring us to our senses, to come back to you, to confess our sin as and our unworthiness that we might receive your incredible embrace of grace. And some of us are like the older brother. Um, we've tried to earn your favor by dutifully kind of slaving away, uh, trying to never disobey your commands, but we've done it out of resentful and not a loving relationship with you.
And if we're in this situation, Lord, we pray that you'll soften our hearts and bring us to our senses that we too may receive your embrace of grace. All of us, Father, we want to have hearts that are more like yours. We want to have hearts that are full of compassion and that actually seek to join in the the party in heaven that happens every single time that a sinner repents and the lost are found. We ask for your help now through Jesus. Amen.